Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we're talking about weed, California's beleaguered cannabis industry. Voters were promised a lot when they voted to legalize weed back in 2016, but a lot of that hasn't come true. For one, the illegal market is still thriving, as 75 to 80% of the amount of cannabis consumed in California is purchased on the street not in licensed dispensaries. A big reason why? It's often 50 to 100% cheaper if you don't go to a dispensary. One cannabis executive has had enough and is proposing a revolution, a tax revolt. Mikey Steinmetz, co-founder of the Flocana cannabis brand said that he will stop paying cultivation taxes if the state doesn't lower taxes and relax regulations that are hurting the industry. Mikey is our guest today, along with Steve D'Angelo, a national leader in the cannabis industry. He's a dispensary owner, a testing lab owner, an investor, and a longtime Californian. And now, here's my conversation with Mikey Steinmetz and Steve D'Angelo. Mikey Steinmetz, from your home in Mendocino County, uh, the Emerald Triangle, the region of California, the cannabis breadbasket of America. Steve D'Angelo, from your home in Brooklyn, welcome to my home in Oakland, and to It's All Political. Gentlemen, it's been a while since we've chatted. Great to be here. Great to talk with you again, Joe. I covered the drive to legalize cannabis in California back in 2015, 2016, and you two were at the head of the movement. Uh, It was a moment that was uh, decades in the making. Uh, Millions of tax dollars uh, of tax revenue were promised, and and now California has a, a... cannabis-friendly governor in Gavin Newsom and a cannabis-friendly attorney general in Rob Bonta. Two politicians were at the head of that legalization movement from a political perspective. Since then, uh, legalization has not gone as planned uh, for many people. Uh, Mikey, you wrote in in a Medium post recently that California's cannabis supply chain is, quote, an ICU of distressed assets. First of all, Mikey, can you just start by explaining to listeners how cannabis is taxed in California? There's there's basically a, a retail uh, excise tax and a cultiv- cultivation tax. Explain how this all works to us. Yeah, uh, actually, that's probably one of the biggest challenges we have currently in the California landscape is the excessive taxation that actually compounds on the supply chain as the product moves all the way from cultivation to retail. So on top of the standard kind of sales tax that all of us here have in California, we have a cultivation tax that is the only agricultural product in the world that has it. We have an excise tax. And then on top of that, certain cities and certain jurisdictions have a gross receipts tax, okay? Like in your hometown there in Oakland. So basically these four layers of taxes compounded across the supply chain make our products somewhere around 45 to 50% more expensive than the competitor that's down the street in the illicit market. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that most consumers are still preferring buying product in the illicit market. In fact, in California, somewhere between two thirds to three fourths of the consumption still happens illicitly in the illegal market of unsafe, untested product that are dangerous to, to consumers while all of us are struggling with a limited market and overtaxation. And you write that uh, our, our, uh, in this Medium Post, our tax structure is excessive and, and extremely broken. 
but I remember this, and we, we've, we've had conversations with this over the years. Uh, the, the cannabis industry agreed to this tax system because they wanted legalization. Uh, you know, uh, it's the only industry in politics uh, that uh, you almost never hear of an industry that says, please tax us more. But at the time, in the battle for uh, legalization, they wanted to do it because they wanted to be legit. What has changed over the last, uh, since 2016, when voters approved uh, legalization in California? Well, I think there's several factors that led to kind of this, this moment here. And you are right, Joe. At, at that time in 2015, 2014, when all this was written, there was lots of folks you know, collaborating and being part of that process. Okay. And some of those conversations, there's always trading happening and you give this and you give that. Okay. One of the things that we as an industry had to give to just be uh, acknowledged and welcome and legalized was offer a lot of taxes. Okay. It was one of the things that the industry kind of rallied together to do uh, because it was the only way to get the approval and the votes of some of the other big uh, lobbying organizations that exist here in California. So we agreed to this tax structure kind of, you know, behind closed doors, you know, it, without really putting it over the, the ecosystem, like all of us in a desk, kind of writing this on a draft paper without really knowing how it, so it was all going to play out in practice. So now, four years later, after, you know, legalization on January 1st, or almost four years of 2018, um, we're seeing these regulations that we wrote kind of at a desk, you know, all of us thinking what could happen and would happen, we're seeing the ramifications of this today, that it's unworkable. I think one nuance that's worth kind of getting into as it relates to it, uh, one mistake that I think we all as an industry wanted to call out, but that never happened is on the cultivation tax, right? Which is one of the things that we think we should be eliminated entirely because no agricultural product, no other farmer is subject to something like that. But one of the mistakes that we did is that when this was done in 2015, 2016, you know, the price of the pound was, you know, £2,500 £2, a pound or $3,000 a pound. And the tax rate was the fixed number. It was $154 a pound. Okay. And on that, you know, $3,000 a pound, you're talking about five, 6%, which maybe at the time seemed manageable. Now we have overproduction in California, a dearth of retail locations, and the price of the commodity has crashed to somewhere between $300 to $400 a pound. So that fixed rate of $154 a pound that was sub 5% five years ago now is upwards of 40%. And it is completely unworkable for people that are trying to compete in this licit market. So what is what are you proposing to do? So I think in general, what I think we all need to accept as the, 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 the main goal of legalization is to transition all this illicit market into the legal so that we can have safe product on the street, that we can have good paying jobs with social security and benefits, that we can have uh, just uh, brands and distributors creating products and innovating and growing this industry under normal circumstances. The point of legalization is to eliminate the illicit market. The number one goal of legalization in California has failed. So what we are proposing or what we think needs to get done is first and foremost, complete elimination of the cultivation tax. This doesn't make sense as an industry. We've tried it for four years, it doesn't work. Let's all get back together and fix that. As it relates to the excise tax and being taxed in general, yes, as an industry, we agree with paying taxes. We agree that the government needs to make money. We agree that those monies can be used for good services and good foundations and to push the, uh, the world forward or California forward, but give us some time to beat the illicit market. Today, we can't compete with it. 
So what we're proposing is elimination of the cultivation tax, and it's a three-year grace period on the excise tax. Three years can give us the amount of time necessary to stand up this industry, to fix all the lack of retail problems we have, to get customers used to buying other products and coming into legal shops and stop dialing their dealer. Give us a chance to stand up this industry and compete. Three years afterwards, you're gonna have a much larger legal industry, a blossoming industry, and then you can start taxing us. Now, don't make the mistake then and drop a 15% excise tax on us immediately. What, let's graduate it. Let's figure out what the tax rate that this industry can hold works. Start off with 5%, increase it a couple points every year. Let's study supply and demand, and let's make informed decisions rather than making decisions that are destroying the industry. Steve, you were uh, you have a, a national figure in the cannabis movement for many years. What uh, what do you say to California taxpayers who who voted to uh, legalize cannabis and, and are counting and was sold to it because of this uh, this revenue stream? What do you say to them now if they're you're like hey when you your propose this proposal is out there? Well, I don't think that it's accurate that the that the initiative was sold to them primarily as a tax raising measure. I think that that the most persuasive arguments for Prop 64 were public health and public safety arguments that it was critically important that we extend basic consumer protections to the millions of Californians who are consuming uh, cannabis. And, uh, you know, particularly you think about uh, testing of cannabis. Um, uh, you know, um, prior to the passage of, of Prop 64, there was no way for Californians, unless they were medical cannabis patients, to access safe and tested cannabis. And you think about this in the context of, of other human consumables, right? Um, you, you, you have regular testing of medicines, you have regular testing of water, you have regular testing of food, anything for human consumption. And yet, um, we had no testing of cannabis. And, and you know, just a couple of years ago, we saw the vape pen crisis, uh, where contaminated cannabis vape pens ended up killing uh, people, several people across the, the country. All of those vape pens came from unregulated, uh, unlicensed sources. So I think the most persuasive argument for Prop 64 was the, was the public health argument. And, and related to that, the public safety argument, the idea that as long as you have a, a unregulated uh, market um, that uh, cannot turn to the court system, that cannot turn to law enforcement um, uh, for the resolution of disputes, that you're going to have all of the kinds of, of things that you see in any kind of, of illicit um, uh, prohibited market. So I think the reason that voters um, voted for Prop 64 was, was for public safety and public health. And unfortunately, um, Prop 64 has been a, a total failure in, in both regards. Mike, you alluded to this earlier. earlier uh, 68% of California cities have no legal dispensaries. Uh, but, you know, you both know it's, it's part of the deal was that this cut, when this deal was cut, uh, the legalization package, uh, it said include a provision that local cities could decide for themselves whether or not to permit dispensaries. And uh, if they hadn't, you, we know that politically that would have been a lot tougher to, to pass and to get support for it. Um, Mikey, you wrote in your Medium post that, quote, the only way to fix this is overriding local control and trusting the majority of California citizens who voted in favor of cannabis le legislation, I'm sorry, legalization and wish to see this industry thrive. 
Guys, when in, you know when people hear about quote overriding local control, that's going to make some people a little worried. What do you both mean by that overriding local control? How would that? How do you propose that works? Well, Joe, let's talk about respecting the will of the voters. Okay, a majority of California voters voted to legalize cannabis. A clear majority of California voters, and yet. And yet only 30 some odd percent of California jurisdictions have actually really legalized cannabis. So what we're really talking about is not overriding local control. We're talking about respecting the will of the voters. And, you know, my understanding of Prop 64 is that it gives the legislature the power to force licensing in those jurisdictions which voted in favor of Prop 64. And um, uh, and I think that the legislature should should do that. This is really about respecting the will of the voters. Number one and number two, creating a healthy and viable legal cannabis system. You know, the problem in California essentially can be summed up that the system was not designed to welcome and integrate the legacy cannabis market into the legal system. Explain, Steve. Steve, explain when when you say. Legacy cannabis market. What does that mean? Legacy cannabis market would would be the would be people who were active in carrying this plant through the years of prohibition uh, when no licenses were were available. Um, uh, Farmers have been doing this for decades uh, up in the Emerald Triangle and across California. Yeah, exactly. Um, and 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 also retailers um, uh, who, have, who have been uh, you know distributing the the product in in cities. Um, all of those folks really need to be welcomed into the legal system. So what's happened in California is, is the, you know, the legacy market is now three times the size of the legal market. And the reason is, is very clear. Because of overtaxation, overregulation, the price of cannabis in California dispensaries is somewhere between 50% and 100% greater than it is on the street. Roughly, when you buy weed in a California dispensary, you're paying twice as much as you would if you were buying it from your next door neighbors. And most of your next door neighbors in California can find you weed. So it's not that hard to do. Um, you can, they can even grow it themselves. They can even grow it themselves. And, and, and this is the, the essence of the problem. And in order to solve the problem, we have to figure out a way to bring those legacy cannabis operators into the legal system. And you, you can't do that if two-thirds of the state is closed to legal cannabis business activity. Uh, yeah, to, to, go ahead, Mike. What, what, can I add to that, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I think Steve is spot on for sure. But in, in, you know, in my view, the, the whole concept of local control was, was, was there for, for, for safety, right? For, for local safety, local access. Let's ensure that the localities can bring safe product to the people that voted for it. Right now, the concept of local control in Prop 64 has completely banned it. It has achieved the opposite. So what we're asking really in the letter is really intentionally causing a little bit of tension here between, uh, between all of us that we're sitting down several years ago to come back to the table to start making the changes that we need. The League of Cities has to recognize that this ask that they put in here has backfired in incredibly detrimental ways and we have to revise it. 
So we're not here trying to say, let's remove local control because we're all rebels and we want to all do this. No, we're trying to say, we want to get legal dispensaries there. So I can say legal safe products to your consumers that are still buying products illegally today. And we're trying to help your locality do that. So please help us find a way to do that. And I think one measure that I heard over the last week that I really like, that I would like the, 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 the I don't know, the, the California start thinking about is to this point that Steve made, the will of the people was to pass Prop 64. And I think if you're in a city and a jurisdiction where the majority of the people voted in favor of Prop 64, we should give those people a six month moratorium to get their act together because it's been four years. So we're going to give you until July to set up your regulations. And if you don't get them ready, then you're going to default to some sort of a state program that the state is going to mandate an X number of dispensaries per the population that you have, and they'll get them licensed. Because the problem is that these cities, and I feel for them, I, 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 we live and operate and, and, and work in small cities that are understaffed, undercapitalized. They were kind of tasked with like, go regulate this industry. So they're overwhelmed. But like, Four years is too long, and there's not going to be an industry for us if we don't take action soon. So, that's my two cents on that. Let me just so underline the, the this. You know what 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 Mike the point Mikey's making about the about the uh, the, the whole point of Prop 64 really failing, right? Um, in in two thirds of California jurisdictions, we have a situation where people still the only cannabis they can buy is untested cannabis. And, and, and the perils from untested cannabis recently became a lot greater, Joe, with the detection now confirmed laboratory analyses of at least two instances that I know of, of fentanyl laced cannabis being sold and consumed on the East Coast in, in the roughly metropolitan New York market. One instance in Connecticut, one instance in Massachusetts. Um, if it's happening on the East Coast, it will be happening in, in California. Um, uh, and right now, two thirds of California cannabis consumers, uh, if they're buying weed in their hometown, they are exposed to the possibility of buying fentanyl laced cannabis. So what happens when somebody buys an ounce of this fentanyl laced weed, they don't know what's in it. They, they are not smokers. So they make up a batch of brownies. They take those brownies to a birthday party or a wedding and serve them to people we could be just a couple of bites away from a mass casualty event. So the basic purpose of Prop 64 to protect California citizens from from death, from you know, from sickness or death, has failed in two thirds of the state. Hey, before we go to the break, I've got a little news. We're moving. It's all political is going to become a regular part of the Chronicle's flagship Fifth and Mission podcast. Hey, this is good news. We'll be able to tap into a lot more resources as part of, of a larger show. So here's my ask. Subscribe to Fifth and Mission now, wherever you get your podcast, so you won't miss any episodes of It's All Political once the change is made. We'll return to more of our conversation about California's cannabis industry after this short break. And now, here's more of our conversation with Mikey Steinmetz and Steve D'Angelo about California's cannabis industry. Mike, you have a, you have a proposal that, you, that you've put out there and you said uh, you what you you want uh, Governor Newsom and you need two thirds of the legislature to uh, back these changes that you're proposing, um, and you you have a good relationship with the with the governor and uh, these folks you know them for years during the legalization uh, uh, fight, and if they don't, you said that you will quote refrain from paying the cultivation tax after July first, twenty twenty two. 
Our recommendation will be to place our estimated tax in escrow in good faith and to withhold payment until we see real actionable change, uh, end quote. And you've, this isn't just, uh, you know, Mikey Steinmetz uh, hanging out in the Emerald Triangle saying that you have about two dozen, you've been talking with about two dozen uh, cannabis CEOs who uh, are, are feeling the same way about this. Are, you, are they with you on this? Yeah, so I mean, I think uh, just to speak a little bit about the tax strike kind of concept, I think in, in general, what I, what, I want, what I want to be known about it is it didn't come with like a one day to the next kind of proposal, like do it now or, 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 or else it's war. This is not a, we're coming here with a white flag and a legal legitimate path over several months that we can all do in lockstep together, right? And for the last four years, we've been trying to go the regular legislative process, find an author, write a bill, but our whole industry is bankrupt, okay? Because we cannot operate in this industry. So finding fundraisers and sponsoring people, it's, it's been difficult. Our industry can't compete with some of the other lobbying forces that are out here in the state. So going this regular legislative process has failed for four years and something's got to change. So we have right now in front of us and Governor Newsom has a path right in front of us with his budget process. By January 10th, at or before January 10th, Governor submits the California budget for next year. In this budget, he can request all the changes that he deems are necessary for the state to undergo. And to Steve's earlier point, if we are as an industry, to lobby, to talk to, to convince two thirds of the legislature, whatever Gavin Newsom puts in there, two thirds of the legislature could change and amend taxes. We could have tax reform and we could also have tweaks if not complete override of the local control. Prop 64 gave that ability to the legislature. So we as a company have had it, enough is enough. And as I started talking about this to other folks and other people out there, whether your company was big or small in the Emerald Triangle in LA or in Oakland, everybody is struggling. Everybody is afraid to come out, to share their stories, to share their numbers. But you can even just look at the public companies of California that are out there. You can see Glasshouse, you can see Parent Company, you can see Lowell. All of these third quarter results were abysmal. 38% misses, negative gross margins. Why? Because they have to sell the product below cost to compete with this illicit market. And they're smart people. They're good operators, okay? Just like many, many of us out here. And we're all struggling big or small and enough is enough. So as I started talking to folks and bringing people together on this issue, the movement started growing and growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it's a nucleus of people that are banding together. And uh, I can't speak for them, Joe, because I would feel uncomfortable, but I can tell you that there's great alignment between the group. And we have something that we're gonna be revealing likely by the end of next week. Uh, that will probably helpful be helpful in answering your question. And that, and that you will be taking your case to Sacramento. Uh, yeah, I think the plan is to basically rally a few folks together um, and make a big announcement next week with the intent of, of, of having this presence be heard and known in Sacramento. And what we want here is to collaborate with Governor Newsom, to collaborate with Nicole Elliott at the DCC. This is not, they've been our allies all this time. But right now, you know, COVID gave everybody a little bit of a break right? It gave everybody some stimulus checks. It gave us essential service. It kind of gave us a little bit of a breather as an industry. I think it would have collapsed last year had that not happened. And, um, and the governor, um, very rightfully so, in Sacramento was prioritizing healthcare and saving lives and everything was COVID related and everything was healthcare. And we get it. 
But we had a 2020 reform and initiative, sorry, tax reform initiative that we wanted to run by in 2020 that had the appetite of Newsom and had the appetite of the legislatures. And COVID kind of back, you know, got, got that sidetracked. So we need to get it back on track. And we got to get it back on track on this budget process because we need Governor Newsom's leadership to signal to the legislature, my people, the people that voted for me, the cannabis community needs the change. And he doesn't need to approve it. He's not going to use his political capital. Let us go get two thirds of the legislature to sign up on it. But we need him to put it in there. One, one last question I want to ask you um, is that uh, cannabis users have not been really a, an organized political force before outside of the legalization drive. Do you see, uh, will you be trying to do this as well as, as get uh, folks who are, who are users, who are, are fans uh, uh, to to form a, a political force to back you up on this? Because, uh, you know, it is a money-saving <laughs> venture for for users. Correct. Unless they're buying yeah, I mean, on the illegal market. Right. And, I, and, I, and I, I would say that, like, they're not buying on the illicit market because they prefer the illicit market. They're right. doing it just because they can't afford cheaper, it. Sure, they can't sure. afford to do otherwise. Sure. So what we're trying to find a way is to bridge the gap between that price point and bring those consumers over. And I do believe that they'll want it, right? Like these consumers, when they go to the illicit market, they don't have Flocana, the brand. They don't have all the other brands we have in our portfolio. They don't have the benefits of the IP and the testing and, and all the new products and form factors and, and new things that will be created in this industry. They want to shop in the legal stores, but they simply can't. And it's, it's, it's a problem of price. So I do see this movement going beyond just the industry folks and, and, and rallying more people out there. And, and we hope that that level of noise and that level of awareness is going to cause people that have the ability to make this change, to have the courage to step up and put it out into, in writing and put it into this budget process. And Joe, the, uh, the FEC just certified the first uh, specifically cannabis political party, the, um, the National Cannabis Party, which was started by uh, a famous uh, OG hip hop star, Redman. Okay, well, we'll look for them to, to emerge in California. Uh, Steve, you have, you have one, one more thing I want to ask you. You have a, a national, your finger, the, the national pulse. You're a, a former dispensary owner here. You're a former uh, 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 testing lab uh, owner uh, here in California. Um, uh, what, who gets this right? What others, do any other states get this right? Uh, what, who can California learn from when it comes to cannabis taxes and regulations? I think that, that California should be studying New York, uh, even though New York has not implemented their regulations yet. Uh, without question, the New, York, uh, the New York legislation is the most progressive piece of cannabis legislation that, that we've seen. But you, there's no dispensaries open there. There's very few. No, but it does some things that California should do. I'll give you one example, Joe. There is a micro license category in, 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 in the New York law which allows uh, people to grow a 5,000 square foot canopy and retail it directly to their consumers. Um, uh, and this is, is a model which you know, replicates the basic business model that the legacy market has, has used, you know, in, in certainly in New York and in large parts of California for years. And just imagine if, if instead of having these huge grows with a million and a half square feet of cultivation, we instead had hundreds and hundreds of small growers, each of whom had 5,000 square feet, who were growing really high quality, craft quality cannabis and selling it directly to the consumers. Consumers would get better weed at a lower price 
and the prosperity from this new industry would be spread across thousands of people instead of going into the hands of just a few corporations. I'm Mikey Steinmetz, Steve D'Angelo. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being on It's All Political. I'm sure we'll be uh, talking more about this as this, uh, as this uh, potential package of uh, legislation comes through Sacramento. As this movement grows, uh, it's, uh, it, it's always a fascinating topic to me. Good to talk to you guys. Thank you. Thanks for having Appreciate, us, all your work. Appreciate all your work. I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. And remember, we are moving soon. So subscribe now to the Chronicle's Fifth and Mission podcast so you don't miss any episodes of It's All Political. I'd like to thank Mikey and Steve for joining us today. I'd like to thank Taya Francesca Price and Karen Creighton for producing today's episode. Of course, some love for our theme music. That song you're listening to is called Cattle Call, and it's written by Randy Clark and produced by Randy Clark and Crow Song. And remember, no matter if you prefer a bong rip or an edible, it's all political.